Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, I ask for help today, uh, Lord, as we work our way through Luke chapter 21. Lord, this is a a challenging piece of scripture. And so, Lord, we pray that um, you would give us clarity to the things that are important to us. Lord, we pray that um, you would help us to keep the main things the main things. And Lord, may you speak to our heart. We love you, Father. And we pray this in Christ's good name. This text is difficult. This is one of these texts. It's, many have said it's the most, um, uh, it's the most uh, not debated, but understanding of it, interpretation of it. There's a variety of views within Christianity. Um, everywhere I looked, there was this sort of, this is a very difficult passage. Then I knew I was in trouble when I start reading through different commentaries, trying to get their point of view. And then I go to like audio, audible messages of like listening to guys and what their take is. And almost everybody starts out with, this is a very difficult passage. Um, There are right-hand things and there are left-handed things. It's okay for you to disagree with me on this text. This is my understanding of it. The problem with this text is, is it's very eschatological. That, that basically means that Jesus starts talking about end times from his perspective. Not only does he speak with end times, like Isaiah, this text sort of uses like bifocal glasses, which means at times it focuses on things that are far and things that are close up. And it's easier when you're looking backwards to figure stuff out, but when you're looking forwards, we don't have a clue. And so uh, in reading this, Over and over and over again and realizing that this most difficult passage comes up in the middle of of when we're trying to move and I'm dealing with like water breaks and stuff. I'm like, Lord, what are you doing to me? I'm just helping you keep the main things, the main things, you know, so you don't get on rabbit trails. Um, We're going to I'm going to read the whole passage. And I do think that there's some very important things for us to look at here. Um, It's the fortunate news. It's not up to us to like to make all of this stuff happen. This stuff is going to happen. We're just kind of along for the ride, and we may or may not even be here when it occurs. And so I want to focus on the stuff that we're told to do. We're definitely not told to be arguing and debating about this stuff. Like that's, it's already sorted out. We, just, we, don't, we don't have clarity of how it's all going to shape out. And one pastor said something that I thought was very good that i want us to keep in the forefront of our brains he said that all scripture is true amen not that doesn't mean that all scripture is clear to us so this is absolutely a hundred percent true and will happen but we don't exactly have clarity on how it's all going to shape out uh first corinthians i think it's thirteen thirteen says that we see dimly right now but then we'll see clearly we'll understand when it all happens when it all happens and we're standing with the Lord, we're like, aha, I get it. Um, so let's read uh, Luke chapter 21, verse 5. We're going to finish off the chapter. And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, as for those things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be one, left one stone upon another, which will not be torn down. They questioned him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? 
He said, see to it that you are not misled. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be afraid. For these things must take place first. But the end does not follow immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes and in various places, plagues and famines. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you. Delivering you to the synagogues and to the pr- and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my namesake, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom, and none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death and you will not be hated by all and you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance. You will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains And those who are in the midst of the city must leave. And those who are in the country must not enter the city. Because these are days of vengeance. So that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant. And to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword. And will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and waves. Men fainting from fear and expectation of the things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the son of the man, son of man coming in a cloud with power and great authority. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up, up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable because the fig tree, behold, the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you ask. When you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. But will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, during the day, he was teaching in the temple, but at evening, he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. And all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to listen to him. And Father, we do thank you for this text. We pray, Lord, that you would help us 
as we navigate our way through it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Jesus is at the temple. I found another picture. I like to give just a variety of options to show us so that we kind of have an understanding of the situation. This is, I found this picture, and it's sort of like a 3D-ish. It's a 2D, 3D scale of kind of Jerusalem today. Um, From the other side up here, if you were to go up the hill over here, this is the Mount of Olivet. And you'd come down and you'd come up the hill, you'd enter this way. Modern day, we've all seen on the news the the Wailing Wall that is down here. To kind of put it into perspective, I thought it shows from the situation today. It's tiny. I mean, that that section is gigantic. If you go there today, you, you kind of get a better appreciation for how big this area is. This is obviously the Dome of the Rock. Uh, it's a Muslim uh, sort of worship center at this point. Um, but the temple sat there. And so Jesus had been teaching in this area. And last week, we looked at, they're in the temple, they're teaching. Jesus sees people coming and bringing his, their gifts, and they're, they're getting their coins, they're, they're paying. Jesus knows this is this this widow who had nothing. She had two widow's mites that are called that because of her. Um, two of them together are in today's time about a quarter of a penny's worth in value. And Jesus said she gave more than all of these things, than all of the other people. And they're kind of going, what? How, you know, how is that possible? And Jesus was making the point, like, listen, she... In her poverty, gave all that she had and is totally and completely relying upon God. And those, the other people that were giving a lot of money, he wasn't making fun of them, but he's saying, or he wasn't not making fun of them. He wasn't, he wasn't demeaning them or talking poorly of them. He was just pointing out that they're giving out of their surplus. It wasn't quite the sacrifice that she was making. And in her heart, she was 100% dependent upon the Lord for everything. And so from this story... It's Luke kind of makes it sound like they're still there. If you look at Matthew 24, which is the Olivet Discourse, this is the Olivet Discourse. It shows that they kind of left the area and that they would have walked down the hill up to the the, um, the top of the Mount of Olives. And they would be looking at Jerusalem and Jesus begins sharing. And so verse five, it says, while they were talking about the temple, the grandeur of this temple that King that Herod had built up. It was laden with gold. Um, And if there was no gold, the stones were like this beaming white rock. Still today, when you go into Jerusalem, and it's just a, everything is just white stone. But it was glistening white. When Josephus, when he wrote of the temple, he said that the pilgrim coming into Jerusalem would be blinded by the temple because the sun that shined on it, the gold just radiated that they couldn't even look upon it. And where there was no gold, the white of the stone blinded them. It was one of the wonders of the world at the time. And so they go up there, and I could just see them in the evening looking at the sun setting over the temple and I go, wow, that, it's just spectacular. Like, the, this is a huge city, and these guys that are with Jesus, they're just, you know, they're small country boys from, from the Sea of Galilee. And they're blown away just talking about this. How beautiful it is, and the gifts, and it was just all of the people coming to worship the Lord. And from this setting, this is Jesus' literally his last night. Next, next chapter, we go into his arrest. This is his last sermon before his death, burial, and resurrection. 
And so he looks at them as they're talking about the temple. And he says, as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come when which there will not be left one stone upon another that will be torn down. He says, this whole temple is going to be torn down. You're going to see it. If 30 years later, 35 years later in AD 70, the whole place was destroyed. They literally, because of the gold, they pried all of the stones apart and pulled out all of the gold. It was toppled. The only part that, that remains from the original the temple is the Western Wailing Wall. That that's the foundation of the temple. That's why the Jewish people love that spot so much. Because it's, it's, the, it's what remains and it's the closest spot that they have that is to the temple area. And so it's, it's sacred ground for them. And Jesus says, he tells this prophecy that, hey, you're going to see this place totally toppled over. Verse seven, he go, they in response, you know, Jesus, they're like, what? What are you talking about? And they asked two very reasonable questions, in my opinion. They asked, when will it happen and what will be the signs of this happening? They questioned him saying, teacher, when therefore will these things happen and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Jesus responds in verse eight and he said, see to it that you are not misled. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is near. Do not go after them. Jesus warns that because of this, because of my teaching and the things that are under fold, they had no idea that he was going to be executed the next day. Jesus knew absolutely that he was going to be executed the next day. He knew that following him, that there'd be these false teachers that would come in as we read the epistles. Constantly, the apostles are trying to stay focused, stay in the word. Don't be led astray. Still to this day, there are all sorts of people leading astray. Just, you know, just this morning, I said, hey, there's, <laughs> there, there's some, you know, Lyle just cut, Lyle came up and says, hey, there's some bold pastors on TV. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, what'd you, what'd you hear? Don't hold me accountable for what they said. I'm not liable. There, there are a bunch of guys that are using the things of the Lord to, for personal profit and gain, that they're extorting people for money. There are all kinds of guys say the end is near. We just passed May, whatever the date was. And I think that this is a huge ploy of saying to, to kind of make the things that the Lord say as being foolish. And Jesus warns him, don't go after them. He continues, when you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be afraid for these things must take place first. But the end does not follow immediately. He continued by saying, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places, plagues and famines. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Jesus says it's going to get bad. There are going to be people who are going to try to lead you astray. There are going to be people who say that they're me. Like currently there's a guy in Florida, I believe, who says that he's the Messiah that's come back again. And he and I think that's crazy. But Hundreds of thousands of people are going after him. And I think, are you serious? And then he says there's going to be wars and nations are going to rise upon nations and and there's going to be earthquakes. And you look at our news and and it's easy to say, oh, all of this stuff is happening right now. Well, we have to guard ourselves from that. And I, I like what J. Vernon McGee says. He says, are these things becoming, beginning to come to pass? I am not in a position to know. I have no inside information. 
All I can say is my salvation and redemption is nearer now than when I first believed. I know that he is coming back, and that is what is important to me. Amen, J. Vernon McGee. Like, I'm right there with you, brother. But when I look at this, if you look at the news over the last two years, how many earthquakes have we seen? You know, one of my friends from the Midwest somewhere, apparently there was an earthquake in Southern California yesterday or something. I didn't feel it. But they wrote on my face, hey, are you okay? I heard there was an earthquake. I'm like, man, we don't even notice earthquakes anymore. <laughs> like, we think, oh, man, something. I must have, like, hiccuped or something. I don't, you know, I, we're all okay. You, you look at the news. It's discouraging. You look at the world. And, and the immediate response, I think, is fear. And in this verse 9 is the first sort of practical application when we start looking at end times. The one thing I have highlighted in green, like, Gunner, this is important, this is important, this is important. When Jesus talks about this, does he say, hey, you need to be arguing and debating with all your brothers? He doesn't say, well, don't have, it's all about, we can have convictions and beliefs about things, which I have plenty. He doesn't say, go buy yourself a bunch of frozen dried food and stock up. And it's not wrong if you want to be prepared or whatever. He doesn't say take action into your own hands. Don't be so consumed with worry and fear. What he says is four little words. Do not be terrified. Like for those of us who have trusted in Christ, there's no fear. He's got, man, this is two weeks in a row I referenced. He's got the whole world in his hands. I almost started singing it last week. I caught myself this week. But these kids' songs are like, you know, there's some like just good practical wisdom. We need not be terrified. You don't have to look at the news and be worried. He says, don't be terrified. And all of this leads to trust in him. Trust God for the future. Trust him in the midst of your tragedies. Trust him in the midst of all your fears. Everything that flows from this, all of, all of the applications that I see from what he's about to unfold, deal with trusting upon him. Don't be afraid. Throughout the scriptures from Joshua entering the land, in Joshua 1, I, if I was a great Bible memory student, I'd be able to tell you exactly what it says, but it's like, do not be afraid, take courage, don't be afraid, I'm with you, trust in me, take courage. And if you just search that phrase, take courage throughout the whole Bible, God doesn't want us to be terrified. Trusting in him and leaning upon him leads to peace. Verse 12, but things are going to get worse for the disciples. In Matthew, we're told that they're up on the Olivet, up up on Mount of Olives, and, and they are all alone. The big crowds are gone. It's just this small group, and they're privately talking to him about these things. So he tells about all the big picture of all the bad stuff. Don't be terrified. Don't be terrified. And then I get to verse 12, and I was like, it's like, do you want the bad news or the bad news? Here's the bad news. From a human sort of perspective. But before all these things, you know, the false teachers, the the wars, the nations rising upon the nations, the earthquakes, all of that bad stuff. Before those things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you. 
delivering you to the synagogues and and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my my name's sake. If we were to follow Luke's writing through Acts, which we already did, we I'm backwards all the time, so we did Acts and then we came back to Luke. We see the apostles in their life after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They were beaten, bruised, arrested, executed, all of them except for John because of their testimony of who Jesus is. He said, "All this, you're going to be arrested, you're going to be thrown into the synagogue because of my name. And the name of Jesus is so offensive. It's hilarious what you can do in the public square. In our own culture, you can speak about any religious thing. It's, it's, it, we're very spiritual. We're okay with talking about generic religions and stuff. But you start talking about Jesus, suddenly the battle's going to begin. But verse 13, all of this bad stuff is going to happen, but what's the good news? Verse 13, Jesus says, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Their testimony about him. They're going to be arrested. They're going to stand before very important people. And they're going to be able to testify. Peter, who we see like in this story in the next couple of weeks, Jesus says, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to, or before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter would like kind of turned a little cowardly towards the end of Jesus's life. Then after the death, burial, and resurrection, starting in Acts chapter 2, it's like, what happened to Peter? What ha- Who is this guy? He's like standing in front of everybody. He doesn't care if they kill him. Ultimately, they did. And they say, we're going to crucify him. He said, I'm not worthy. This is tradition, not from the Bible. The tradition holds that he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the manner that my Lord was crucified. And so they crucified him upside down. And he says, it'll lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. Not that I have an axe to grind, pun intended. But this isn't a verse for pacifism. Just uh, I, a lot will use this. That Jesus says, don't defend yourselves. But if we, were, if we skip ahead to Luke chapter 22, verse 36, Jesus says, hey, if you don't have a, a sword, a, da- a dagger is a literal two-edged sword meant for defending yourselves. He says, sell your jacket and buy a sword. And they run and they, they say, hey, we got these. Okay, you're good to go. This is about defending yourself like intellectually, like trying to get out of trouble, like standing before them. Don't worry when you're on trial don't, about defending yourself. For I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. I read that and I think of them as Peter addressed them. And they say, man, these are like untrained men, but it's clear they've been walking with Jesus. They, they're, they have so their argument. We can't penetrate their argument, which makes us angry. And so this whole idea, as this persecution comes, Jesus says, make up your minds. And there's so much, I don't want to say power. Like, we don't necessarily worry about what we're going to say, that we have a little three-by-five card when we are, are up against in some, like, debate about who Jesus is, that we have our little talking points. But that we make up our mind, like, no, Lord, if I'm put in this situation, 
I'm going to be prepared. I will speak for you. I will not deny you. Friday night, we watched this, this movie that I didn't realize it was so long, you know? And it was kind of, it was 1977. It was like old school movie. And I, it was like kind of going, kind of a little bit slow. They're in the prison camp. Um, they protected the Jewish people, this, this family. All the Jewish people got away, but they were arrested and they were taken into their prison camp. And then at the end, one of the sisters dies, dies in, in, uh, in a prison. The other sisters let go. And then all of a sudden, at the very end of the movie, Corey Tenboom, the actual lady who this movie was about, she shares her story. She said, I told my sister that I would speak of the Lord's goodness regardless of anything. And so I testified about his, and it was just, I mean, it kind of blindsided me that she said, no, we determined that we would not deny anybody that came to our home asking for help and any opportunity we had to share about the love of God, we would do it. And she's now like, as she, I mean, she's passed away now, but this was late seventies and she was an 80 year old lady. And she said, since that day, I've never stopped sharing about the love of God. Any opportunity I have, I take it. And if you'll turn with me to first Peter chapter three, towards the back of the Bible there and first Peter chapter three, Peter, who certainly was here, when Jesus spoke these words, Peter's like in the very, very back. First Peter chapter three, verse 15. Peter says this. Um, well, let's start in verse 13. So first Peter chapter three, verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So Peter talks about that we have hope in Christ. We have peace in the midst of terrible circumstances. And as I sat there on Friday night, like in the briefing room, like to hear like the police officers who are believers sharing, like I was humbled as a, as a pastor and chaplain, like just like, to say, you know, we just need to rely in the sovereignty of God. And we don't know why bad things happen, but we trust in him. Our hope is in him. And when we're faced with these things and people go, what is wrong with you? How can you have hope? Your situation seems just catastrophic. They say, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And then suddenly he starts using you to share the good news that we're ready, that we make this decision beforehand. My training as a SEAL, one of the things that was grilled upon me as the teams really kind of raised me as a, as a young, as an 18 year old kid, one of the big things that was that we learned to what if situations. You what if everything to death, that, that you think through every single possible scenario so that when that scenario happens, you've already thought through and you just have to kind of react. 
And so back here in Luke chapter 21, when I see Jesus say, verse 14, so, so make up your minds beforehand. Like when I read this, Jesus is saying, you know, just abide in me, read my word, know me, spend time with me, make up your mind not to worry about these situations. But then when you're in these situations, just trust me, I'll give you the words. Just walk with me. Make up your mind that when you wake up in the morning, you say, okay, Lord, it's a new day. What do you have in store for me? I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek you through the day. And as I encounter different situations, I have it in my mind. Lord, what are you doing here? What do you want me to say? You can pray all day long. Just talking to God. Okay, Lord, you're operating here. I trust that you have a plan for my life. So every single encounter that I have with people, you've divinely appointed. And when you see life like that, it's, it's crazy when you, uh, for example, we were moving next Saturday. We closed escrow. And I've told you guys over and over again, I have the gift of worry. Like I am so gifted when it comes to worrying. Like I preach to myself, you know, this whole don't be terrified I don't even need rumors of wars to be terrified. Like, I just need little stuff. Like, what if I run out of gas? Or what if, you know, like, uh, who knows? Well, so we closed escrow and the water was being put in our name. And the water company had, like, turned off the water to let us know that they'd been there to tell the meter. So then I I walked down there and I plop on the water. And all of a sudden it's like, the water meter's just going. I call up to him, like, Hey, are you like uh, running all the spigots or something right now? Like, is something going? She's like, no, no, no. Like, the toilet's filling. And I'm looking at the meter going, that's not a toilet bowl. (laughs) This is bad. I've been in Valley Center long enough to know this is like liquid gold leaking all over the place. So I shut off the main. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the house. I'll turn off the house. Still, I'm like, this isn't good. But it's like. For me, when my car breaks down, I open the hood, but I don't exactly know what I'm looking at. But I know you're supposed to open the hood. When you buy a car, you kick the tire. When you break down, you lift the hood. That, I, it's as far as it goes for me. And so I'm just like, Rick's my go-to guy. He's not answering his cell phone. He's not answering anything. I go to Google. Don't go to Google in these situations. So now on Google, I'm reading about these catastrophic water leaks under the slab and how it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars to fix. And I'm going, oh, no, it's over. So I'm like, I got to call him at his house. His wife answers. I'm like, where is he at? She's like, well, I don't know. He's at a meeting. He said he'd be home by five, but it's six. And I'm like, well, this is what's going on. And her response is like, oh, no, that's not good. I'm like, you said it perfectly, Sue. Like, that's exactly what I'm feeling. And so then I finally get a hold of him. He's like, it's no big deal. I'll meet you there tomorrow. While I'm laying in bed, worrying, doing exactly the same the thing I'm not supposed to do. It's like 10 o'clock, 1030. I'm like, I'm not going to sleep. I elbow Anna and I'm like, I'm going over to the new house because I'm, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I got to do something. Like I'm, I've got to open the hood or kick the tire or something. Like I'm just going to start walking to see if I can figure it out. And so then... I, you know, I get in the car and I text one of my sheriff deputy buddies who works the midnight shift. I'm like, hey, are you working tonight? You know, he's an old Valley Center guy that knows all about water leaks. And he texts back, 
hey, actually, I'm sitting in the driveway of your new house. And I'm like, awesome. I'm on my way. I'll be there. He's like, it's funny how God works sometimes. It is absolutely fun that this guy just happened to be sitting in my driveway when I text him at 1030 at night. And so then I have the sheriff out there with his sheriff shovel. We're like looking for holes till, you know, 12 or 1 in the morning. We solved the problem. It was like a 24 adventure. And so problem was solved. But the whole issue, like where I started with all of this, is that when you start your day, Lord, I've decided, I've made up my mind that I'm going to follow after you. I'm going to do what you want. Let, show me something from your word. Speak to my heart. Show me how you're moving in situations as I go through my day. And then you see something like that. I text this guy at 10 at night. He happens to be my driver. He's like, yeah, I just felt like I was supposed to come over to your house. Check things out. Hang out. You know, it's a good quiet spot, central location. I can. And he's like, but I see why God had me here. The kind, and he's a believer. So we he prayed. You know, it's like, it's OK. We'll find this. The Lord will help us find it. And it was like, oh, thank you, Lord, for like providing this encouragement at two in the morning or whatever. When I'm freaking out over like, you know, which was like a $20 fix. <laughs> thank you, Google, for scaring me. OK. So back to the text here. So make up your minds. That's like practical application number two that I see. And in the midst of all of this, as trials and tribulations are certainly going to come your way. David Jeremiah is famous for saying, and he probably stole it from somebody else, but he's the guy that I'm stealing it from, so I'm going to steal it from him. He says that you're either entering into a storm, you're in the midst of a storm, or you're leaving a storm. Life is filled with storms. We get through storms by relying upon him. Don't be terrified. It's easier said than applied. But as you're terrified, even when I'm in my worry, my gift of worry, I try to take it to the Lord. Like there's nothing better at two in the morning when you're tossing and turning. Don't turn on the TV. Just start crying out to the Lord. Open up Psalms. Say, Lord, speak to me. I'm worried. I'm concerned. It's free floating. I know I have nothing to be worried about. So I'm coming to you. You got to help me here. And he will. Okay, verse 16. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. That one kind of made me chuckle in a sort of sadistic sort of way. He's got 12 disciples. One of them betrayed him and hung himself. So that leaves 11. Of the 11, 10 were put to death. And one, they tried to kill over and over and over again, but he was like a catfish. Super hard to kill. The Apostle John, like, they boiled him in a vat of water. He was exiled to Patmos. But Jesus kind of tells him, like, you know, you guys just can't handle what's coming your way down the future. Some of you will be put to death. I read, man, Jesus, pretty much all of them will be put to death. For their testimony in him. But they had boldness. And God gave them the grace they needed to endure. Think of this. Twelve guys. Who were untrained men. And today across the world. People are worshiping God. Through the word which he revealed to us. Which many of these guys God used to pen the scriptures, their testimony spread to other people. And all of us ultimately 
our spiritual genealogy ties into one of these apostles because somebody spoke to somebody that spoke to somebody. And if you follow it down, and it's amazing that through their commitment, how the world was turned right side up. You'll be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by some? No, by all. You'll be hated by... By all because of my name. Jesus' name is offensive. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. This is persevere. This is my next one that I have highlighted. Verse 18 and 19. Practical application here. Yet not a head of your hair will perish. Okay, that one might not be so applicable, but it ties into the whole, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. All of these guys, he said that you're going to die. He said that they were going to be killed. Most of them were killed. And they, the, like those that were like burned to the stake, certainly their hairs on their head were not preserved. You guys are into my brain. So like, what's he saying? He's not talking about this life. He's talking about eternal life, which when you believe in Christ, you get then. See, you don't get eternal life when you die. When you believe in Christ, you're given eternal life. And he said, just endure, persevere. And I think of when you look at Peter's writings, first and second Peter, it's all about perseverance. It's all about regardless of the persecution. It's all about trusting in him and getting his perfect peace. And you'll endure because it's not this life. It's the next that we're pressing on towards. Verse 20, the bifocal lens. He goes from like near to looking far. It says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that our desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. See, this is subtle. Normally when armies were surrounding a city or a, a region, the people didn't flee to the mountains. They fleed to the city. They wanted to get within the walls because the walls were fortified. They had supplies. They could put themselves up for a long, long period of time. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that our desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave. And those who are in the country must not enter the city. Because these are the days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. It's going to get bad. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies. See, right at that phrase, Anna was like, amen, amen. I'm like, no, Anna, the verse continues. (laughs) My wife is very pregnant at this point. And so these verses tend to come alive. But I'm like, no, 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 it says in those days. (laughs) Just because you're just like, no, no, you had me at pregnant and nursing babies. Like, that's hard. But, but she, like even watching this movie about Corey Ten Boom, she'd seen it as a kid. She loves the story, The Hiding Place, the book that's really it's from. And she said, watching it this time was just like so much more heart-wrenching than I'd ever seen it before because I've never seen it as a mom. And then seeing it as a mom, like going into these horrific things, everything changes. Like having the perspective of, and Jesus is like, it's going to be bad. And I feel really bad for these moms with, that are pregnant and that are nursing babies. For there'll be great distress upon the land and the wrath to this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword. 
and will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Um, somebody, I forget who I took off my note here, the, the, the description of the, the destruction of Jerusalem, they wrote this, the troops arrived in the spring of AD 70. Jesus had said that not one stone of the temple would remain upon another. The temple finally fell on the Sabbath day on the 10th of August of that year. The soldiers broke apart each stone in the temple to retrieve the melting gold, which they could see in the cracks between the stones. By September, the entire city had been taken and for the most part reduced to burning rubble. One and a half million Jews died. And in that process, if you go to Israel, when you get down to the Dead Sea, you'll visit Masada. And part of the fleeing at Masada is this huge mountain that's fortified, that has a view down of the Dead Sea. And at Masada, these Jewish people fled and they basically hunkered down for years. They survived the Romans spent years building up a siege ramp up this huge cliff. I mean, if you go to the back, it's amazing the effort that went through. You have, you have a small, like insignificant amount of people living in this spot. But the authority of Rome to show them that you did not rebel upon Rome, they were going to spend years building up this huge ramp to basically execute them or take them into slavery. And they said, we will not... Submit to them. We want our independence. And at the end of the story, the men drew lots and they said, we would rather die freely because we chose to than to be taken into their slavery. And then the the men basically, they drew lots, they killed their families. And then they basically, you know, drew lots over who would kill everybody else. And then the last guy committed suicide. But you go there and it's just, I mean, we can't even imagine how bad it was. And that they were just their freedom. And when Jesus says this, it's like, yeah, it's going to get bad. God's not done with Israel. But he gives warning here. And you look historically over what's happened to Israel. It's a miracle that they still exist. I'll never forget the first thing that the tour guide, when we landed in Israel, when we got in the bus, all jet lagged. He said, I don't know if you guys believe in miracles, but you just landed in one. Never forget it. And I think every time I go to Israel, I'm going to steal his quote. So if you go, that's where I got it from. He goes on to say, now now he, he looks kind of even further because the second part, I'm pretty sure hasn't happened yet. See, verses 20 through 24 happened in AD 70. Pretty sure that that's what Jesus was talking about. Can't be certain, but I'm pretty sure. Then verse 25, it says, There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, dismay among peoples and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great authority. So he starts speaking of his second coming. That the earth will stand like this, this, with the sun and the moon. There's going to be changes that will be seen. 
And when Jesus comes in this cloud, it will be evident to all when we look at Daniel and his coming. It's, it, there will be no mistake by anybody that it's happening. It says, but these thi- when these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift up your heads. Because your redemption is drawing near. And from that line is that quote from J. Vernon McGee. That's where he quoted. He's like, I got no inside scoop. I do know that today, today we can all say that all of us were one day closer to, to, to redemption and standing before the Lord than we were yesterday. Like, I know that much. I know that much. And the good thing is, we don't have to, these weren't like instructions for us. I think some people, like bless them in, in Christian circles, we read this and it's, and it's like, we think this is like an instruction manual when you go to Ikea and you buy a piece of furniture and you're supposed to read the directions and you're supposed to start assembling. These are not assembling instructions. These are description of what's going to happen. There's, don't worry. It's not up to us to make this be implemented. It's, it's going to happen. The day of the Lord is coming. He's coming back in this cloud. And we need to guard ourselves when the news and when people come and they make this big splash, like May of 2011, or was it this year? It was, it was last year because May hasn't happened yet. And it's easy for us as Christians to quickly jump on like the secular bandwagon and making fun of like, oh, they're crazy. It's a perfect play of Satan because it, it's like, oh, Jesus coming back. We take the attitude like the one bumper sticker I saw a few years ago. Jesus is coming back. Hurry up. Look busy. (laughs) Be careful with the jokes you make because the Bible makes it very clear that the Lord is coming back. And there will be false teachers that will do stuff. So we can't get we can't start following after them. But at the same time, it doesn't diminish the reality of what Jesus spoke. That's why it's so critical for us to be in the word. For us to learn from the scriptures, to abide in him and what he says. Verse 29, then he tells them this parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. I love this. I mean, this is a total say. I'll get to the, As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know yourselves that summer is now near. It's the time. My nectarine tree right now. I mean, you go to my house. There's this tree I planted from like the bare root a couple years ago. It puts out the best nectarines. And I can see, you know, first it flowers and then the leaves start coming out. And now I can see the little, the little like fruit. And I love putting water on that tree because that fruit is just so, I know summer's close. We all know Rick loves summer around here. He, he'd be okay with it being 130 degrees, 24-7, 365 days of the year. <laughs> but we see the fruit. You can see the evidence. I know summer's near because I can see the flowers on those trees and I can see the fruit. I'm getting excited. I mean, I love VBS, but I know that during VBS is when I'm macking on nectarines. So I know life's about to get good. And he says, you know it. You can see there's evidence. You know clearly when it's going to happen. Verse 31, so you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Now, this verse, this verse creates, oh, 
You want to get into like theological arguments amongst brothers in the Christian world? Rightfully so, this is a difficult passage. That verse, what does he mean? I Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. Jesus is speaking in AD 30-ish sometime, 33, 35. He's speaking to his disciples. He's telling about all of this stuff. He says that this generation won't pass away till these things happen. How many of those people exist today? None of them. So is Jesus wrong? Did he misspeak? Some will say, well, Jesus said not even the son knows the hour. And so that Jesus kind of, he didn't really know. And that's dangerous ground. Jesus is God. He absolutely knows what he's speaking of. When there's confusion in the scripture, it's not from the God's perspective. It's from ours. We have finite brains. We don't understand the big picture. In looking at this, that word generation could be translated race. That's, 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 that's one explanation. That this generation, this race, this our, the Jewish people will not pass away. And, and, and reading that in, say, 19, you know, say, let's say 1945 or 44. I, I wonder how Christians handled that verse in. If I wasn't in the midst of digging holes this week, I, 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 I would have researched theologians during the 1940s. How did they interpret this? See, Israel didn't exist. It hadn't existed for since since the fall of Ju- of Judea and the northern kingdom when they were taken captive by Assyria and Babylon. Israel didn't exist. Jewish people existed, but Israel as a nation didn't exist. And then all of a sudden, and they just had their anniversary. Uh, was it what was it forty eight that Israel was established as a nation? So this was their. They just celebrated Independence Day a couple days ago. So we know, in our generation, we know it, that Israel's a nation. That's an absolute miracle that Israel exists. Now, another thing, a friend of mine in his message, when he got to this point, he made a point that I kind of actually liked. He said, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away. The way he interpreted it, which I kind of, he might have sold me. I won't let him know. I, that, I mean, he's a dear friend of mine, so I'd have to harass him. But then I tell him, no, I agree with him, I think. So he starts telling this parable. He starts explaining about this tribulational period. He's talking about that time. And my friend, his, his take, and he probably read it from somebody else, is that that generation, when the things occur, they'll be over within that generation. Like it's not going to take forever. If you like end time stuff, this is a great area for you to wrestle and study with for the other 90% of you. The so what happens in verse 33. But like the third part I have highlighted in green that has practical applications. Heaven and earth will pass away. Christians do believe in in climate change, global warming. But it's not the way that the media portrays it. (laughs) It's going to be a little bit different. But he says, but my words will not pass away. And my friend, Matt Smith, who's down in La Jolla, he um, he made a, a point that I think is easy to lose track on. See, we read the word, we read this from our perspective. During the tribulational period, what will believers be reading? This. And as all of these things are happening, the Lord's words will still be there. 
And think of the great comfort that that will provide. Like, so if we're there, or if we think we're there now, because if you read the news, it's going to be pretty depressing. It shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said this whole place is, you know, going to get worse. Our hope isn't in this world. Our hope is in him and his word. That's why we value the Bible so much here that that it's not even about me and my teaching. It's about the word. And because his words aren't going to pass away, there's a whole bunch of very good. Like I like verbs in the like like um, the commands to us. And there's a whole bunch of them because they're practical. Verse 34, be on guard. Be on guard. That, that means that as we're, as we're navigating life, we need to be cautious. We need to be thinking through what Jesus said. This has a direct tie and application to our lives and how we navigate life. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and worries of life. Fear. Don't, earlier, verse 9, do not be terrified. Terror and fear and worries so often lead to people wanting to numb their feelings, to drugs and alcohol, sex, things that we're trying to dull our senses. Jesus says, don't do that. Trust in me. Find your peace and your contentment through me. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So he makes it very clear. Lean upon him. Trust in him. Seek him. I want to end with John. I was going to end with First Peter, but we're running out of time. First Peter you can read 1 Peter 1, 13 through 19 on your own. But we're going to go to 1 John, and we're going to end with 1 John chapter 2. I go here because by the time John was written, John became known as the apostle of love. Not because he was a hippie that wore tie-dye t-shirts, but because he went from this young kid that was like passionate and zealous. He was the youngest of all of the disciples he was the one that as they tried to pass through Samaria and, and they, they wouldn't let him, he went back to Jesus and said, hey, can I, bring the, can I pray the prayer? Can I press the red atomic button prayer that fire and brimstone come upon them and we wipe them off the face of the earth? And Jesus referred to him and his brother as the sons of thunder. But after the death, burial, and resurrection, young John, who was so zealous... His whole worldview changed and he only saw himself as a man that was loved by Jesus. He didn't refer to himself by name. Whenever he spoke, it was in great humility. He's like, I'm just a man whom God loved. And that's how he got his reputation as, as, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple of love. And when he wrote 1 John, now he's an old man. All of the other disciples had been killed. He's the only remaining apostle. And he pins these words starting in verse 20, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. This is the promise which he himself, that's Jesus, making it emphatic. He himself, putting it all on Jesus. He himself made to us 
What's the promise? Eternal life. Two words, eternal life, the promise. These things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Does that sound familiar? There are those that are going to come to deceive you. And he says, I'm, I'm, I've written concerning those who are trying to deceive you. The deception was they were trying to say, oh, you can't have life. And if we go to 1 John 5, 13, I believe, he says, I've written this that you may know that you have eternal life. Like, you have eternal life. Eternal life is eternal. If you've trusted in Christ, you did nothing to earn your salvation. You can do nothing to lose your salvation. Jesus gave us eternal life. If he gave you eternal life and you receive it and then it's taken away, what kind of eternal life is that? That's a momentary life. And he's trying to show that this promise, this eternal life, verse 27, as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie and just as as it has taught you, you abide in him. He says, listen, you don't need all of these teachers. I kind of made the joke with Anna. She didn't get it. I'll try again. You guys don't need me to be your teacher. There's no churches over the centuries have tried to say, you guys have no aptitude or ability to interpret the things of scriptures. The Catholic church kept it out of the language of the common people so that they wouldn't know because you would be dependent on what I told you. And I tell you, don't trust me. Don't trust me. Back it up verify it make sure that what i'm saying is from the word because you as a believer have been baptized with the holy spirit the spirit will illuminate the word to you you can read it god wants you to read it he wants you to study it on your own he goes on to say now little children verse 28 abide in him trust in him jesus so that when he appears because he is coming back we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming i read that and i think it tells me listen jesus is coming back abide in him so that when he comes you won't shrink away in shame the first thing i think is like uh oh that means as a christian he could come back and i could be doing something when i see him that i shrink away in shame so I need to keep my heart in check. As old, what's his name? You know, this, I got to, this, ah, never mind. I'm too tired. <laughs> so, you know, I walk the line, keep this heart of mine in line. Johnny Cat. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to do it, but I'm, did it. I did it. <laughs> but I love that song because it's like this whole, my heart is so wicked and so evil. My flesh, when I take my hands off the steering wheel, I crash and burn in the gutter. And I know that I need to be diligent about walking with him and abiding with him so that when he appears, I don't have to shrink away. At his coming, I can simply lift my arms up to him and rejoice when I see him. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who also practices righteousness is born of him. These two knows, if you know, this is oida, this is this is knowledge. You, you, you know certain things. You know he's righteous. You know God is righteous, pure, without stain, without sin. It says, you know, that second know is gnosko, which is experiential knowledge. That through life and uncovering, you see through that. 
that everyone also who practices righteousness, this doesn't mean that you're sinless. It means that your life isn't marked by sin, is born of him. And what that tells me is the longer I'm on this road, there are times in my life when I meet people who when I see them, like people like George and Evie and those that have been walking with the Lord for a long time, it's just like there are people that you see them and your experience of knowing people, it's like they just know the Lord. Like they just love the Lord. It's not about false religion. It's about they've walked with him, they know him, they love him, and their lives have been changed. Chapter 3, verse 1, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared, it has not appeared as yet what we will be. He didn't even know. It's okay not to understand exactly how things are going to shape out. We don't know. But what we do know, we know that when he appears, when Christ comes in the cloud, we will be like him. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21 explain this. Because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. We live our lives in light of the day that he's coming. He's holy. We want to be holy. We're not perfect. We strive to that day. As the world comes in upon us, it can weigh us down. As we look at the news and we see these things, the world isn't as God intended it. Death is here because of sin. It can be discouraging, but we're told as Christians, we keep our eye on him. He conquered death. We have eternal life. He's not done. And so, Father, we come to you and we thank you and praise you, Lord, that you are in control. Father, we pray, Lord, as we live our lives, Lord, we pray that you would grow our passion for your word, Lord, that we would not just read the things that you wrote, that you recorded for us, that we would take them in as knowledge. Father, we pray that your word would go into our soul, into our hearts, that it would take root that we would be grounded in our relationship with you. Father, we pray that you would help us to persevere in this life. Lord, we confess that it's so easy to get concerned and worried and off track, Lord. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord. Increase our love for you. Lord, help us to make up our minds to share about you that we wouldn't be ashamed. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.